The Holy Gospel according to John, the 10th chapter. Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he is saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, as we continue in the Easter season, every year on the second Sunday of the Easter season, we we hear John 21's story of Thomas and spend some time with the fact that not just Thomas, but all the first responders to the first telling of the Easter story first responded by doubting it. They didn't believe a word of it. It's one of my favorite Sundays of the year. It reminds me that the, the Easter's good news is, is good news for real people, not superhero people. And, and being one of those, I find that to be kind of very good news. The fourth Sunday of Easter is also a Sunday when we have sort of a recurring theme every year. Every year, um, that theme invites us not to spend this kind of uh, self-aware time with our doubts and weaknesses, but rather to spend some time with the promises of Easter. And this text invites us to believe them and to trust them and to trust the one who speaks them. It's known as Good Shepherd Sunday. In John 10, Jesus talks about that imagery of I am the good shepherd. Every year for this three years, we take about a third of that chapter and we read it for the gospel. And every year on the fourth Sunday of Easter for the psalm, we have the same one. We just about have to. It's the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23. We're going to look at that psalm. Before we do, I want to tell you, and... um, this might be random sounding, but I hope, it, I hope really it, it isn't. Until 11 years ago this month, um, I, I was not a dog person. Uh, in fact, I spent my whole life until then being afraid of dogs. I, I, I might have had something to do. I have a dim memory of some neighborhood dog in Sioux Center, Iowa, chasing me. And I don't know. I, I mean, I haven't spent enough time with my therapist. But it's, I probably had something to do with that. I was afraid of dogs. And fear did what fear is wont to do made it really difficult for me to have a decent relationship all right, with, with any one of them. Then my daughter rescued a dog, a jack rat terrier, whom she named Captain because he kind of took over. And, and she rescued him only then to discover that she, being single and working long hours, um, couldn't, couldn't keep him. Jack Rat Terriers are active dogs, 
And if they are not given a time to be active, they will get in trouble trying to be active inappropriately. They also bark whenever any door in the building um, opens. And she lived in an apartment building, and she just couldn't keep the dog. And so after, after a little while, in fact, 11 years ago this coming September, Captain moved to live with Grandpa and Grandma and, uh, because they had a yard. And two people who could take him for walks and and play frisbee and take the old four iron and a tennis ball out to the Missouri Synod Church next door and just whack that thing and he'd run it and bring it back and run it and bring it back. Not whack the church, whack the tennis ball. Come on, you people. And in yet one more example of the fact that there's something greater than fear, there is, and that's love. Captain, who was a 20-pound dog and all of it was heart, moved into my heart, and he never left. In fact, he's still there, even though he was diagnosed with cancer, and he very suddenly died just four weeks after we moved here last February. Captain was a great preacher. He, on on two different occasions, helped me preach a sermon. He was a fantastic teacher. He came to confirmation class. One of his favorite lessons was to teach the kids when we went to the Ten Commandments the importance of of rules. (laughs) When people who love you and give you rules, they love you. That's why they give you the rules, to protect you from doing stupid things like running out in the street and getting run over or any other ten things I could probably think of right off. He was great at pastoral care. His favorite was to go with me to the memory care unit every month where I would preach and they would all just love Captain. And he was a great theologian, outstanding theologian. He taught me a lot about God. He and I had a favorite song. We found it on YouTube and I would sing it to him. You can still find it on YouTube. It's called God and Dog. And it goes like this. I looked up and I see God. I look down and see my dog. Simple spelling, G-O-D, same word backwards, D-O-G. They would stay with me all day. I'm the one who walks away. But both of them just wait for me and dance at my return with glee. Both love me no matter what, divine God and canine mutt. I take it hard each time I fail, but God forgives. Dog wags his tail. God thought up and made the dog. Dog reflects a part of God. I've seen love from both sides now. It's everywhere. Amen. Bow wow. (laughs) I look up and I see God. I look down and see my dog. And in my human frailty... I can't match their love for me. God and dog, go home and Google. (laughs) The 23rd Psalm, watch how we bring this all together. The 23rd Psalm was written by David, who before he was king of Israel did not sit with his dog and reflect on his relationship with God. He, on the hillsides of Bethlehem, shepherded sheep and reflected on his relationship with God, and oftentimes, like the author of that song, turn those reflections into songs. Many of David's songs are in the, uh, the Bible's hymn book, which is the book of Psalms. 
His greatest hit song, of course, is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. It begins. I remember a conversation with a guy who raised sheep in, in my first parish. He told me um, that, number one, sheep are not the smartest animals in the farm. He told me that sheep, well, actually what he said is they stink. Or they certainly can. He told me that sheep, if there's a hole in the fence, they are through it. And they will be out there in the world with um, no visible or really good way to protect themselves or defend themselves. He said they need care, they need protection, they need guidance. And that, of course, was even more true for sheep in David's day when there wasn't a fenced-in pasture to go uh, spend the afternoon frolicking in and dining, but you had to be led through rocky terrain, no fences to find what you needed, which made it even easier for sheep in that day to wander off and get into jams they weren't smart enough to get out of or into dangers that they couldn't protect themselves from. David, in what really is kind of a self-deprecating image, apparently, if this image is all correct, David saw himself as a sheep. Vulnerable sometimes, wandering off to do not smart things sometimes. Getting into jams he wasn't sure how to get out of sometimes. Maybe being a stinker sometimes, I don't know. But just as David's sheep had a shepherd who watched over and cared for them and they would be fine if they just listened to and followed the lead of their shepherd, so too said David, I know the Lord is my shepherd, watching, providing, and saying, listen to my voice, follow my lead. The Lord is my shepherd, he said. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Another translation of that first part says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I think it's important to notice the psalm says that with the Lord as my shepherd I shall not want. It does not say with the Lord as my shepherd I shall have every single thing I've ever wanted. Right? If I listen to the shepherd I think we begin to learn the difference between wants and needs. And maybe we learn not necessarily to want when we have what we need. Sheep didn't actually need much. Protection to be sure. Food and drink. In Bethlehem's rugged terrain, David knew all about leading his sheep to find them those things, to provide those things. And writing and singing in the psalm, I see David reflecting on the fact, about the fact that he had all the things he needed. And, and, he, needed, and he needed to thank God for that. And in doing that, he reminds us that there's a qualitative difference in the hearts uh, of people um, who have what they need and people who have what they need and are grateful to God for that. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He just didn't know that he had what he needed. He knew who to thank. He goes on, reflects on some of the things we truly need that aren't things. And thinking about the things that we truly need that aren't things, he says of the Lord, his shepherd, he restores my soul. Some people learn late, some people never learn that some of the greatest needs we have are not the needs of our bodies, but of our souls. So the well-known story of St. Augustine, for example, as a young man slipping through the open gate and bolting off into the world to sample every worldly pleasure, 
the world had to offer him. He left, he left home, left the faith that his mother had raised him on, only in the end to return to the fold, to return to the faith he was raised in, to return to the shepherd, and then to write, Our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they rest in thee. And so with joy and gratitude, he wrote of his shepherd, he restores my soul. He fills that place in my heart. I mean, there's one spot in my heart that's captain's. <laughs> Probably nobody else can fill it. Even the next dog we got hasn't been able to move in there. There's a place in my heart that's God's. He restores my soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Turns out faith isn't just what we believe. It's about what we do. It's not just about resting in the arms and grace of Jesus. It's about walking the righteous path that Jesus created us, God created us, and calls us to walk. And by doing so, David said, to do so for his name's sake. As in newsflash, life being lived the way it's meant to be lived isn't done if it's lived just to the glory of me. Life is lived the way it's meant to be lived when it's lived to the glory of God, the Lord of me, the Lord of all. Which takes us to a verse that I think contains a powerful possibility made possible by a powerful promise. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of evil, here's the possibility, I, had, I fear no evil. Here's the promise, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Walking the path God created us and calls us to walk in a world that isn't in every way exactly the way God created and called it to be can sometimes lead us to walk in what might be fearful places, except what does David say? I'm not afraid. These aren't fearful places. Because why? Because a path that is a path that God calls us to walk is a path that we will never walk alone. The shepherd always, always will be there walking by our side, walking with the sheep, and doing so carrying rod and staff, which could be used to fend off wild animals or to rescue with that crooked end, to rescue their own animals when they got off the path or into a jam. As I walk the valley, I'm called to walk, David said, I fear no evil. Because there's no such thing, not because there's no such thing as evil, but because with the Lord as my shepherd on the path with me, he protects me, and that comforts me. Indeed, David goes on to say, I walk with him. Even when fearful things are all around me, he keeps on providing me for in the middle of fearful things, with, with evil all around, he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. It wasn't the first time this has happened. I've been honored to do this many, many times. But uh, Wednesday, I served Gretchen Schreffler her last meal. It was Holy Communion. A table prepared in the presence of death, her enemy. Who in the arms of Jesus doesn't have anything fearful for her? One time, a guy in a men's, in a men's Bible study said to me, you know, my, my mom, she was a saint. I used to respectfully but also kind of teasingly I would call her Saint Irene because she was just such a believer and she raised me to be a believer and then in the last few months of her life it came she, she was afraid of dying until the very last month or two when I don't know she wasn't afraid anymore and I don't know what happened she never talked about that she was just even her back old Saint Irene self looking ahead 
I said, I don't know. I didn't know your mom, but I can imagine that one day she was sitting there in the presence of that enemy of hers, that fearful enemy. That being a, being a, a lamb of Jesus didn't mean there's no fearful enemy. She was sitting in the presence of that fearful enemy. He, she felt him staring at her and praying on her. And then she felt the gaze of another. And it was her shepherd. And she heard the voice of another. And it was the voice of Jesus. He said, Irene, feast on the food of my promise that I am with you now. And I have a place prepared for you for forever. And I will walk you from here to there. And I will not let you go. You're my lamb. I'm your shepherd. I don't know if that's what happened with Irene, but I have been blessed and, I mean, honored to serve the meal of Christ's promises to many, many like her, including Gretchen on Thursday. I shared with her the last scripture reading I ever shared with her. It was appropriate because it was this week I shared the, the 23rd Psalm with her. On Friday, I shared it again. I don't know if she heard me on Friday. Sometimes in those end times when I'm feasting on that presence of, of God's promise and the presence of enemies, I once in a while also, I did this on Friday, uh, I'll take the sign, I'll, I'll take water. Usually there's a cup of water on a little bedstand, and there, there was on Friday. And I take that and I make a sign of a cross on someone's forehead and I remind them of their baptism. <clears throat> and that reminds me, echoes the promise of Psalm 23. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. In the Old Testament, being anointed with oil was a symbol of being chosen by God. And of course, Christian baptism is also a symbol of being chosen by God into God's family. And the Bible says those whom God chooses, God's blesses. And those who are blessed, oftentimes when they start counting their blessings, I mean, naming them one by one, right, like the old song, even in hard times, you begin to see that you are blessed and, and, and you're blessed and you're able to see this, that oftentimes we aren't blessed with cups that are just full. Even when times are hard, we count our blessings and we start to see that our cups are overflowing with may more and way better than things. They are overflowing with the presence and the promises and the grace and the mercy and the love and finally the peace that the shepherd give, does give to his sheep. And so surely, David concludes, knowing the overflowing blessings and promises of God, knowing that he and yesterday and today and tomorrow, all of it's in his shepherd's hands. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Commentator I read this week said that the Hebrew, and I don't, I'm not, I have to take his word for it. Uh, the Hebrew translated there as follow he thought could be better translated as pursue. And he said it's actually interesting because it's, the same word is used often, even in the Psalms, to talk about one's enemies kind of in hot pursuit, following, hot pursuit after him. He said, furthermore, the word translated commonly as surely, surely goodness and mercy, he thought could be better translated as only. Put those variant translations together and this psalm ends with David not living his life kind of nervously looking around and looking over his shoulder at, you know, who's, who, what's the next threat, his enemies in hot pursuit, but living in the calm assurance 
that everywhere and always it is ever and only goodness, mercy, pursuing me, chasing me down to find me, rescue me, hold me, and then lead me every step of the way until at last I find that I've been pursued, found, rescued, held, loved, and led all the way to the home that will be my home for forever. Praise and thanks be to God for forever. Amen.